20 minutes or so, I'd like you to open your Bible to Matthew chapter 10. Appreciate the music this morning. I wanted to choose that, that song about grace. I was thinking this week about Dr. Parr, who a long time pastor of Gilead Baptist Church when it was on Fort Street in Detroit. 
He's one of the first preachers in uh, the area who had a TV broadcast as well as a radio broadcast, and that was one of his favorite songs, Wonderful Grace of Jesus. And might that ever be our song that we sing here. But in our message this morning, uh, you'll find out if it relates to Mother's Day like I mentioned on Wednesday night. But I want us to go in our scriptures to the place here where Jesus is talking about uh, not being afraid of people who are able to destroy uh, the body, but to fear him that can destroy both body and soul in hell. You know, you think about people coming to, into eternity. You know, when they come to eternity, people will never cease to die. They will never cease to be, I should say. There, there never was a, there was a time in our life when we did not exist. But there's a time coming when we will never cease to exist. And death is not going to be the end of it all. But it's interesting to me what Jesus said when he did. He said that this, you, do, you, don't, you don't be disturbed about those who can destroy the body, but you, do, you, you come to be concerned about the one who can destroy, destroy the body and the soul in hell. Uh, you read about what Paul said in 1 Thessalonians, or 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. He said... Listen, people are going to be going to be punished with everlasting destruction. Everlasting destruction means a destruction that is never going to come to an end. Do you understand that? Amen. You cannot determine an end because the word everlasting means it's going to be everlasting. You do you fear the one who can cast the soul and the body into this hell. And that word hell there is the hell Gehenna. That may not mean much to you. But in biblical geography. We learn that at the southern end. Of the city of Jerusalem. You have a valley called Hinnom. Or Gehenna. And that was a place where the city dump was. It seemed like there was fire there. There was always burning. It's a place where the, where the fire never ceased. And the worm didn't die. People would empty their garbage there week in and week out. And the figurative language that Jesus uses in the passage here was that it was a place where, uh, just imagine, the soul and body. Now, one day the unsaved are going to be resurrected. They'll be given eternal bodies in which they will dwell eternally in Fire ha actually have literal bodies. Uh, I believe the Bible teaches actual literal fire. It has to mean that because that's what the scripture says. It's an actual body and literal fire. I praise God for people who have implanted the gospel in my heart. And I hope that you will too. Uh, it's my understanding and the scripture says that if you as a child of God goof up put in a simple layman's turn if you goof up if you're a child of God you're not going to go to hell do you know that? Right. you're a child of God he said I govern to them what kind of life eternal life and they shall what? 
never perish. You ever goof up in your life as a child of God? Uh, you bet we do. We don't have to be concerned about him that can punish the, the body and the soul in hellfire. But what he is saying here, he said, get your fear right. Now, if you need to fear the one who is really powerful, you fear the one who can determine the destiny of the soul in hell. Much of our destiny, as far as earth is concerned, has been due to the impact of godly parents, especially godly mothers, in the lives of their children. We've spoken in years past about Suzanne Wesley. And out of her entire family, every one of her children that lived ended up serving God. You think of Charles Wesley, who became a great hymn writer. And his brother, John Wesley, that became a, a tremendous preacher for the cause of Christ. Mrs. Wesley, you read about it in her, uh, like an autobiography or a biography, really. She didn't write a book about herself, but others have written about her. How much time she would spend with her children every day, separately of all the other children. What an influence that had to be upon a, a, a young man's life. God used her. God used her. You think of Mrs. Hiles, Mrs. Dr. Jack Hiles' mother, had an opportunity to meet her before she died. I remember Dr. Hiles spoke very highly of Bob Jones University and Dr. Bob Jones Sr. And uh, I was at the university in South Carolina when they gave Dr. Hiles an honorary degree. And in those days he spoke highly positively of the university. He told us one day how that as a young boy, his father was a drunkard and his father ended up leaving. Now he had some opportunity to talk to his dad later about coming to Christ. But when dad left, Mrs. Hiles had to take care of Jack Hiles and his sister. And uh, one of the ways she did it is, is she said she taught them to just hate sin. She would take pictures out of newspapers, pictures of beer and liquor, and she'd put them on the floor and say, now, Jackie boy, liquor and beer, intoxicating beverage is wrong. It's bad. It's not good. Now, Jackie, what do you think about that? He says, it's bad. Booze is bad. Beer is bad. Liquor is bad. Say it again, Jackie. Booze is bad. Beer is bad. Liquor is bad. And over and over and over again, she'd make that young boy say it. It's bad. It's rotten. It's no good. Because Mrs. Hiles knew that if liquor got loose in a family, it would ruin a family. Ruin a family. Over and over again. It's bad. It's bad. It's bad. You think of Athaliah. Athaliah. The weird lady. Second Chronicles chapter 22 and verse 3 talks about her as being this. That uh, she taught her son to walk in the ways of the world because she was his counselor to wickedness. And her son was Ahaz, the great wicked king of Israel. It's bad when a mother is lost. It's bad when a mother has no standards. If she has no standards, 
If she has no scruples, she teaches sons and daughters to follow in her steps. On the other hand, you think of Mary. When we read about at Christmas time about the Annunciation in Luke chapter 1, how the, the angel came to Mary and said, Mary, thou art highly favored among men. He said, you're going to conceive child of the Holy Ghost. And she said, how can this be, seeing I know not a man? And he said, the angel of the Lord shall come upon thee, and the glory of the highest shall overshadow thee. That which is born in thee shall be of the Holy Spirit, Holy Ghost. I've often thought about what that young lady must have thought. In fact, I became acquainted with that word ponder because the Bible says she pondered those things in her heart. Can you imagine what it must have been to her emotionally to think, here I am, I am an unwed mother, I'm going to be a mother of somebody that, and I've never had a, a relationship with a man. How are my parents going to accept this? How are they going to understand is any man going to want to have anything to do with me? And of course, you know that in the book of Matthew, the first and the second chapter, especially the first, uh, when her husband found out her husband to be, he's minded to put away privily, and the Holy Spirit came and said, No, you fear not to take unto you, Mary. You think, what a godly woman that person was. And I know she was godly because the Bible says she was godly. The Bible says she's holy. You can't say what God is. If God says somebody's holy, they're holy. And she was holy. She needed a savior, but she lived a, a holy life. Fear not. Children learn basically at their feet or their mother. They learn about being afraid of certain things. Don't you go play in the street. Don't touch the stovetop. It, it'll hurt you. It is hot. They teach children things. You know, I have to try to emphasize that a lot because where's dad? Dad is out doing what dads are supposed to do. Who's raising the children? By the way, you, a lot of times you don't know who's raising children today. But it's mom's responsibility to raise the children, right? Mom's supposed to be the influence. It's just, just amazing. Paul writing to Timothy said, But continue thou in the things that thou hast learned, be, be, and knowing certainly for sure from who you learned them, that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation. You know who you learned it from? Praise God for who you learned it from. There's a, there are principles in the Word of God you need to plug into. And one of them is the principle of passing it on. The Bible says in Deuteronomy 6 and verse 2, that thou, that thou mightest fear the Lord thy God to keep all of his statutes and his commandments, which I command thee and thy sons and thy son's son, all the days of thy life. And that the days may be prolonged. Well, let me ask you this. 
How do they teach it to their sons and to their sons' sons? You know who that fell to? That fell to mom. His dad was out doing what dads need to do. Praise God for mothers. Years ago, we were privileged to have Dr. Lyons come and preach. And he shared a message one time, and we recorded it. It wasn't at this church, at another church. And his message was, Mothers, don't raise your children for sin, shame, rebellion, or hell. We wrote Dr. Lyons and said, Dr. Lyons, that was a tremendous message. Would it be all right if we produce that message and use it as a gift on part of the folks here at Maranatha Baptist Church? And he wrote back a very kind letter and said, yes, preacher, I'm glad to give you permission to do that. And for a long time here, when we used to have visitors, we would give the, the parents who came, who had, who had children with them, we used to give them a copy of that, of not raising your children for sin, shame, and rebellion in hell. You don't fear the one you don't fear the one who can just hurt the body. You ought to fear the one who can cast the body and soul into hellfire. You know, Paul wouldn't want us to disobey God because he honored God and he venerated God. In our passage, we were talking about veneration, which means to worship. He worshiped God so much that he would never say no to God and yes to men. That's why I say in relationship to our other messages in this series that that veneration eliminates fear. We don't fear because we're so worshipful of God that we would do what he wants us to do and fear him rather than men. Listen, I'd rather fall into the hands of men who are upset with me than God who's upset with me. I think of Latimer. Go back into history. Latimer was an English martyr. He was preaching one day and King Henry was present. And he said to himself, Latimer, 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 remember that the king is here. Be careful what you say. Mm. Then he said to himself, Latimer, 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 remember that the king of kings is here. Be careful what you don't say. Amen. You know what happened to Latimer? Well, Latimer and Archbishop Ridley, they took them and they burned them at the stake. Because they didn't want to hear what these reformers had to say. The one who faces the world comes out of a secret place where he's gone to God. And he comes out of that secret place where God has spoken to him and he speaks. And beloved, if you haven't been in a quiet place, you don't have a thing to say. Colette, another person at the time of the birth of the Reformation, went to Erasmus, the scholar. And he invited Rasmus to come to Oxford to give a lecture. He wanted him to lecture on Moses and Isaiah. Erasmus didn't think he was ready. He gave a marvelous reply. He said, you are not acting wisely, Colette. You are demanding water from a pumice stone. What effrontery shall I teach what I have never learned? Am I to warm the, the, the coldness of theirs when I'm shivering myself? You know, he was right. If you don't have anything, you don't have anything to give. 
I wrestled that with my own heart. Sunday after Sunday, Pastor, you're going to stand, you're going to talk to your people. I better have something to say, but I'm not going to have anything to say unless I've spent time with God. You go to the secret place and you find that secret place and you come out with a fire in your heart and you say, I have something to say, nothing more, nothing less, and nothing else. And I like that. One of the emblems of the college, one of the colleges I attended had up on the brazen shield at the front of the auditorium, the word of God, nothing more, nothing less, and nothing else. And you might say, well, men might kill my body, but I'm not to fear that. Fear the one who has the ability to destroy the body and soul and hellfire. During the years of the martyrs in the Roman Empire, Christians fled in the underground caverns around Rome. They estimate there are about 800 miles of catacombs that the Christians dug. They weren't allowed to have cemeteries. So they went down and they dug along the city sewers. And in the walls down there is where they would gather together and they would bury the bodies of those who died for the cause of Christ. Ten generations of Christians were buried in those places over a period of years. Archaeologists estimate that over four million Christians are buried in the catacombs as a result of being persecuted during that time. One of the most frequent inscriptions is the sign of the fish, the Ixus. Some people put the sign of the Ixus on their bumper stickers. I like that. Jesus Christ, God's Son, our Savior is what it all stands for. But there's another inscription there that says this, quote, the word of God is not bound. The word of God is not bound. In other words, we fear God too much to fear men, and so we speak. It's estimated that more than 50 million Christians have died for their faith in the Dark Ages, that a million Christians died for their faith when communists took over China. Thousands upon thousands of thousands have died in civil wars in the rebellions of Africa. How can they die so unafraid? Well, for one reason, it's vindication. Vindication. They all have an eternal reward. And for another, it's not only vindication, but it's veneration. They worship God so much that it removes the fear of men. Think of Lord Lawrence, who's, in, who's buried in Westminster Abbey. On his grave, it gets his name and the date. And it says, quote, he feared man so little because he feared God so much. What a great testimony. No, many men who are going to fear God are going to fear God because they had a mom that feared God. A number of years ago in communist Romania, and some of us are old who remember no are old enough to remember when they were under Ceausescu, terrible uh, communist regime. There were five pastors that were in imminent danger of being sentenced from 20 years to imprisonment to execution. And the government of Romania was going to sentence them to this because they accused them of failing to consult the government in spending church funds. Can you imagine that? Our government doesn't come after our churches because our churches select what they want to do with church funds. 
But under communist regimes, they did. And when they did it, the communists looked at these godly men and these churches and accused them of embezzlement. The real issue is that those five Romanian pastors were among the pastors of Romania who cannot be, brought, cannot be bought by the government. They can't be manipulated by the government. So the government trumps up charges and throws them in prison or executes them. But one Romanian writer living in Paris wrote this. He said, quote, Except for the official Orthodox Church, all of the churches are persecuted. See, communist regimes have to, have to maintain silence and fear among the people in order to keep their power. So they end up persecuting the church. They halted all church construction in Romania. You find the same thing true in Russia. There was a young lady named Valentina Zortrofa. A Russian Christian, she was persecuted because of her bold faith. She was harassed by the Soviet police. Her husband ended up divorcing her. She'd been fired from her job and she lost her children. Listen, they can kill the body, but they can't touch the soul. And the soul is a suke. You say, what is that preacher? Well, you know what the body is. That's what you live in. But you, they can't touch you. You are the suke. You are the soul. That's the immaterial part of man. The real part. What does it matter to lose the body? What shall it profit a man if he gain his own... What, is it, what, what shall it profit a man if he gain his own body? I mean, if he... I know. Thank you for helping me. Gain the whole world, lose his own soul. The soul here in verse 28 means the, the real part, the immaterial part, the real substance, the you. See, we believe in a dichotomy. We believe that man is a body on the outside, but on the inside, he's a soul. That's the real person. They can't touch that. Be careful who you fear. If we're going to, if, if, listen, if, if going to heaven bothers you and you don't want to go, it's simply because you're too earthbound. If you were really heavenly, if you really were heavenly perspective, you, you would have a heavenly perspective. You'd be so concerned about that ultimate vindication in God's presence that you wouldn't have any fear. But I like to say, well, what will I do if I'm ever, after, ever under the gun? You'll know what to do because you know there's a heavenly vindication. So... You worship God because you could care less what men might do. And I have to tell that to myself too. I do. We ought to fear God and worship God so that we don't fear a man. You know, I'm thinking about the passage and I'm thinking, you know, Judas was there and he heard about this. And there will always be in the church, in the group of the disciples, the phonies and the fakes. But oh, what a warning this is to those who might be listening. But I want to give you a third reason before I close this morning. The third reason why we need not to fear men is because of what I call valuation. Valuation. Now, we have people here this morning that haven't been with us. Just quickly, the outline is vindication, veneration, and number three, valuation. Fear not, therefore. Why? Well, you go back to the therefore. Are not two sparrows sold for a farthing? In other words, like saying, are two sparrows sold for a penny? 
Sparrows refer to little birds as little birds, and there are a lot of little birds. They're all over the place. They're like the, the, the mess cleaner uppers at our house. They love when I put out bird seed because what the other birds don't get, they get, you know. They were all over the place. People would buy them and they would use them like hors d'oeuvres. Just take a bunch of these little birds and make a bunch of hors d'oeuvres out of them and you ate that little bird. There's some of us that be a whole lot of hors d'oeuvres you get eating because you're not going to get much out of a sparrow. But they were caught and they were sold two for a penny. I mean, it's pretty cheap. Two for a penny. In fact, Luke tells us that you can get five for two pennies. So if you bought four, they'd throw in one for nothing. And then they'd bring these, these things out, baked up and on a plate. And you'd have these little birds and they'd be roasted. And you'd eat them like finger food. Cheap little birds. And yet verse 29 says, And one of them shall not fall to the ground without your father. Caring about it is implied in the text. God cares about a bird. You mean a two for a penny bird? You mean God knows that, that when that bird dies, that bird is dying? Who do you think God is? A know nothing? God knows everything. You go along the road and you see dead birds everywhere. You say, Pastor, you mean God's got a list of dead birds? Well, I mean, he knows it because he's God. He not only knows when they die, he also knows when they hop. You say, oh, wait a minute. Birds hop all the time. That's right. They hop all the time. God knows when they hop and when they stop hopping. Nothing in the most simple, insignificant element of life. Chief little, almost good for nothing little birds. He cares about them. And you know what? He cares for them. My mother's favorite song was his eyes on the sparrow. The smallest animal doesn't perish without God caring, and he made those little birds. You notice that Jesus said, your father, your father. Sound of tenderness there, isn't it? Your father knows. He said, don't you know your heavenly father know the very hairs of your head are numbered? They say that for the average man, about 140,000 hairs per head. Some of you might be really messing with the average because you have less than that. It doesn't say he counts them. It says he numbers them. In other words, it's like saying every hair upon your head has a number. He actually identifies every hair on your head. I think of what Moody said. Moody said it is passing. He said earth is receding and heaven is opening up before me. And some of you might think that way about your hair. Earth is receding and heaven is opening up. Listen, God knows the numbers of the hair. And you say, well, what does that say? What's the point? Well, the point is this. God is concerned about little birds and God is concerned about numbering and knowing the hairs of your head. So don't be afraid. Because Jesus said, you're of more value than these little birds and a whole bunch of hair. But that's the idea. You know why you cannot be afraid? You don't have anything to fear. If God takes care of the little birds and God numbers the hair of your head and he takes care of that, that's within the framework of his care. So don't you think that you fall in the framework of his care? 
You people who bereave, don't you know that God cares for you? Those of you who hurt, don't you know that God cares for you? Listen, I can stand here and say that you're never going to get into a situation where God can't sustain you in that situation. Never. Psalm chapter 91 and verse 7 says, A thousand shall fall at thy right side, and ten thousand at thy right hand, and it shall not come nigh thee. In other words, it's all going to collapse around you, but it's not going to touch you. God cares. Tender, loving care. If God so clothes the grass of the field, if God cares for the lilies, if God cares for the birds, Matthew 8 says, Shall not he also care for you, O ye of what? Little faith. We're so afraid we're going to lose our reputation or our job or we might get injured and we get fearful. But look, God says, look, I take care of insignificant birds, the hair on people's heads. And don't you think you're more valuable than that? Because birds don't have souls. And you know what? Your, the hair on your head, it doesn't have a soul either. But you do and you're eternal. So here you are, you're a disciple, and you're going to go out to face the world. You know, you're going to be treated like him. Well, how are you going to react? Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. You don't need to. Because at the end, you'll be vindicated. And you'll have an eternal reward if you have an eternal perspective. Yeah, I don't know what your commitment is, but I hope you have a godly commitment. Back when Nero was the emperor of Rome... Nero wandered all around him, some of the finest men of the Roman stock that he could find. And so he identified his own personal wrestlers, known as the emperor's wrestlers. And he wanted them selected from the bravest and the strongest and most stalwart of all the Roman athletes. They were like the Olympic team of Rome. And they surrounded the Roman amphitheater. They attended the arms of the emperor. They were around all the time. And they also had a famous statement that said, according to historians, quote, We are the wrestlers wrestling for thee, O Emperor, to win for thee the victory, and from thee the victor's crown. So their motto was, We wrestlers wrestling for thee, O Emperor, to win for thee the victor's crown, and from thee the victor's crown. On one occasion, the Roman army, including these wrestlers, were sent to the area of Gaul to put down a rebellion. There were no braver or more capable wrestlers than the wrestlers of the emperor. And they were led there by a centurion under the name of Vespasian, who was also a very brilliant man. But while they were in Gaul, history tells us that many of them were converted to Jesus Christ. Word came back to Nero that some of his personal wrestlers had become Christians. And he sent a message to Vespasian that, quote, if there be any among your soldiers who cling to the faith of the Christians, they must die. The decree was received in the dead of winter in Gaul. The soldiers were encamped on the shore of a frozen inland lake. And with sinking heart, Vespasian the centurion read the message. He called the soldiers together and asked the question. Are any of you who have embraced Jesus Christ and the faith, and 40 of them stepped forward and saluted him and said, I he said unto them, I give you until sundown tomorrow to deny that or you must die. At sundown the next day, 
He asked the same question. The same 40 men stepped forward. He said, quote, I can't allow you to die at the hands of your fellows. I strip you naked and banish you to the middle of the lake and leave you to the elements. So they stripped them bare and sent them into the middle of the lake in the dead of the night, in the frozen winter. Not long after they had arrived there, he heard this coming across the lake. They were singing 40 wrestlers, wrestling for thee, O Christ, to win for thee the victory and from thee the victor's crown. And he heard it again and again through the night. And it grew fainter and fainter as the morning came. Finally, near morning, one lonely figure approached the fire who could not stand the coldness with the others. He did not hold to the faith of Christ that he should die. He came to warm himself and admitted that he had denied Christ. And the cry came across the ice. 39 wrestlers wrestling for thee, O Christ, to win for thee the victory and from thee the victor's crown. By this time the centurion Vespasian was greatly overwhelmed and God did something in his heart that at that moment he threw off his helmet, took off all of his armor, took off his clothes and ran across the ice shouting at the top of his voice, Forty wrestlers wrestling for thee, O Christ, to win for thee the victory, and from thee the victor's crown. Friends, Jesus said, you don't fear them that touch the body. You fix, you, you fear, you respect the one who can cast both soul and body into hellfire. What do you choose? Our Heavenly Father, we, on this Mother's Day, affirm our love for those women that you have put along our path, whether they be mothers, whether they be women Sunday school teachers, whether they be Bible club workers, whatever, that have planted in us the Word of God. We thank you for grandmothers and mothers like Timothy had. And Timothy knew where he learned the truth from. We thank you for them. We pray that people might respond this morning from the heart and say, I'll wrestle for thee, O Christ, and for thee the victor's crown, and from thee the victor's crown. So help us to live that we might honor you with our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.